0: of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. The definition of wild in the dictionary is one of the longest definitions I have literally ever seen. It goes on and on and on. There's like 30 different ways to define the word wild. And a lot of them are defined in opposition to something else. So things like not tame, not domesticated. But the definition that I really like was this one. Natural, produced without human aid. Natural, produced without human aid. Which always makes me think that that must have something to do then with God growing things instead of us. Right? Wild berries, wild honey, things that occur on their own without our help. If there was anyone ever, any human ever that was wild, it was John the Baptist. The text this morning quotes Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about a voice that will cry out in the wilderness, prepare the highway for the Lord, not just the path, the highway like we just sang, which I think for us with modern ears makes it sound like God is not just coming, but God is coming quickly, the highway for the Lord. And John is the voice who cries out in the wilderness. John would have known this passage from Isaiah deep in his bones. And he would have known deep in his bones this sense of Jesus coming into the world. In fact, if we go back in time, about 30 years, we have that great story when Mary is pregnant with Jesus and she hasn't told anyone yet. And she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is carrying John. And Mary's still coming down the road when John begins to leap in Elizabeth's womb because he knows that the Messiah is coming. And it prompts Elizabeth then, as Mary's coming down the road, to say out loud that she knows the Messiah is coming, that Mary is carrying the one who will come into the world and change everything. John's whole life from that moment to this moment when we find him in the gospel is defined by his relationship with Jesus. His whole life, everything he does, everything he says, everywhere he goes is defined by who Jesus is to him and what that relationship means. And so he is the voice crying out in the wilderness asking for the people of God to prepare the way to make the paths straight to be ready for the coming of God, which is coming soon and coming quickly, according to John. Now John doesn't like to preach in the cities. He preaches 10 to 15 miles, at least, outside. So I want you to imagine this morning that you didn't get in your car with your nice coat and come to church a couple of minutes drive. Instead, you put on your walking shoes and packed lunch and dinner in your bag, tried to dress whatever kids you were bringing on the road with you, because that sounds like fun, and then walked 10 to 15 miles into the middle of nowhere, which for us is hard to sort of imagine, right? Because if you walk 10 to 15 miles in any direction, you just end up somewhere else. But at this point, if you walk into the middle of nowhere, there's literally nothing there except John and this huge crowd of people who've come out from the city to hear him. And they're a diverse crowd of people. Some of them are wealthy and have power and privilege. Some of them, were told, even were Romans and were sort of listening. Some of them are on the other end of the spectrum. They're maybe sick and looking for healing. Maybe they're lost. Maybe they're poor. Maybe they're lonely. It's a diverse crowd of people, probably with diverse intentions, too. Some of them are probably there just for the show. And some of them, probably many of them, like us, are there because they're looking for something real. Because what they see in the city is the same thing that John sees, sort of the trappings of life, but but not the deep, meaningful, fulfilling parts of life. So they come out to see John, and the show surely was good, right? The text this morning tells us here's this this wild sort of disheveled guy who wears camel's hair and eats locusts and wild honey, and truthfully, it's the locust part that I object to most. (laughs) I mean, clearly not wearing camel's hair this morning, but it's the locust part that I object to most in terms of John's own sort of brand of being wild. But the thing is, when they get out to this hill in the middle of nowhere to see the show, to listen to John, to hear what he has to say, what he tells them doesn't really sound like good news, does it? Especially when he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are the religious elites, who have all this sort of religious power and kind of brood over the people. The first thing he says to them is, You brood of vipers. Well, that's a cheery welcome. <laughs> After they walk 10 to 15 miles to come see him, that's just lovely. <laughs> and then he starts with this whole thing about baptism and fire and the winnowing fork and the threshing floor, and he gives us this really interesting metaphor about the wheat and the chaff. He's inviting us, and all of those people who've gathered to see him out in the middle of nowhere, to consider our lives in the same way that a farmer would consider the harvest. First you have the wheat, sort of the the grain, the fruit, the thing that matters, the thing that feeds people. And then you have the shell, the husk, the thing that was wrapped around it. That stuff gets swept up and burned because it's inedible, and it's useless. It's not helpful, it doesn't do anything good for anyone. So it gets separated from the wheat and burned. The invitation of this text and of John's baptism is to think about our lives in those two particular categories. To think about the ways that we lift up, and fulfill, and instill, and garner, and support life, our own lives and the lives of others, And on the other side, to think about the things we do that hurt, destroy, tear down, make more difficult the lives of others. It's an invitation to see the stark reality that we are all connected to each other, and what we do and what we say, things done and left undone, have an effect, have a consequence, have a meaning in the lives of others. And so the wheat and the chaff reminds us that there are pathways toward life for us and for the people around us, and we have to choose them to choose to bear fruit, to choose to give that back, rather than to choose the, the things we, we choose that isolate us and separate us and hurt us and keep us from each other and from God. John's baptism lays the foundation of the church's baptism. John knows that not everyone can stay in the wilderness with him. That their life is going to be different. John probably lived his whole life out there, only making a couple of trips into the city to talk to people and to preach. But not everyone can do that. Most of us have to live in the metaphorical city, in the real world. And so what John gives them is a baptism, a tool, something that will change them and invite them to live differently once they go back into the world. He's calling them to real repentance, to real personal responsibility. And he's saying specifically to those who have power, in this text, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that your connections and your history and your legacy doesn't do it. That won't cut it. What matters is your relationship, your actions, what you say, and what you do. And this baptism that John lays out is the foundation of how we understand baptism in the church. Baptism is certainly the moment when we are claimed, when God calls us beloved, when we become one of the tribe, and it's a time when we realize that we are connected to everybody else, that we are sort of part of the team, part of the work, all of us with a role and work to do. Like John, beginning at our baptism, from then on, everything we do Everything we say is supposed to be defined by our relationship with Jesus. And like John, there should be a little bit of wild in that. Because what Jesus suggests to us, a a life of compassion and kindness and love, a life that is equal, where it's a, a level playing field because we believe in justice and mercy and kindness, that is what the world would call not normal outside the bounds of convention, literally the definition of wild. So the invitation of this text this morning, and frankly of this whole day, is to consider, among your preparations, among sort of the themes of this season of Advent, what does your relationship with Jesus make you? How does it define the way that you walk and the way that you live and the way that you talk in the world? Do you have a sense of not being a spectator, sitting on the side of that hill and listening to John, but actually being part of the team? Do you have a sense of your place and your role in the work? Do you know that you belong to God and to the tribe? What does your relationship with Jesus make you. How does it define you? In this season, we are always preparing for God to break in. In fact, that's what we hear in the first two readings. We hear Isaiah's prophecy that God has this other vision that is totally different. A vision of peace, a vision of justice, a vision where peace is so real and so tangible that even the animals in nature live together in harmony. And this vision begins with Jesus Christ breaking into the world. And in the epistle, we hear Paul say to the Romans that that work has already started and that they have to sort of continue. They should rejoice and be joyful about it, but they still have to choose to be part of it. So I invite you in your preparations this week, in this second week of Advent, to consider seriously who Jesus makes you. What part of your faith is wild where God is breaking in and where you can help God break in for other people? If you look for him, you will find him. And then I hope you'll step out into the wilderness with him. Amen.